Hi, and welcome to Sleeves Rolled Up. I'm your host, Julia DeRota. When faced with the serious and complex needs of people in our society, many throw up their hands in exasperation. At the Salvation Army, however, we roll up our sleeves and get to work. In this podcast, you'll hear from people who are determined to see people's lives transformed through their respective roles within the Salvation Army. State of the Nation is a comprehensive report released each year by our social policy unit that measures outcomes that impact on the well-being of the communities, whānau and individuals that the Salvation Army works with. In today's mini-episode, we chat to Salvation Army social policy analyst Anna Eke about her work authoring the crime and punishment section of the report. We learn more about victimisation and why it's affecting young people, along with highlighting New Zealand's sobering family violence statistics. Thanks so much for joining us today, Anna. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to have a chat to us. So um, first of all, it would be great if you would tell uh, our listeners a little bit about yourself, uh, what your background is, and sort of what your role is within the social policy unit. Malolele, um, Julia. Thanks for having me. Um, kia ora, everybody. My name is Anna Ika. I'm a social policy analyst with the Salvation Army's Social Policy and Parliamentary Unit. Um, or in our the Manukau Centre, they call us BU. Um, my, I come from a youth work background, so I've only been with the unit, it'll come up to two years in May. Um, so I've been on in a, I've worked in the youth sector as a youth worker um, in different organisations, charities, um, and in the community. Um, so I uh, saw that there was um, a revolving door in regards to um, um, young people um, coming in to need support and then their siblings. And so thought um, there needs to be more done for the family and so I moved into the policy space and really I'm privileged and grateful to be able to work here with the Salvation Army. That's awesome, thanks for that. So you authored the crime and punishment section of the State of the Nation report this year. What are some of the key findings that you'd like to highlight from, from that section? The crime and punishment uh, chapter that uh, we wrote, it's kind of a mixed bag, as it has been with the whole report. Um, it's, it's quite difficult to make sense um, of all these numbers when they're showing uh, different trends. Um, so it was kind of like putting a puzzle piece together with lots of puzzle pieces missing. Um, so what we saw in the major trends that we saw um, with the crime and punishment chapter is that the number of offenders or the number of proceedings against them by the police um, had been declining and we welcome that um, but at the same time the number of victims and the times they have been victimized have been increasing mm-hmm. um, on the other hand um, we have violent crime um, increasing in our country and then on the other side you've got uh, conviction rates declining you've got the, the prison muster now at its lowest um, in yeah, so we're just trying to make sense of uh, what these contrasting trends are showing. Um, but what the I think the overall message that we were seeing from these numbers is that the justice system is making an attempt to move away from the punitive measures that they usually um, that, that yeah that uh, that our justice system um, usually shows towards a more restorative um, justice system. Um, yeah, so I guess that's that's kind of the overview of what we've seen um, in this chapter. Cool, thank you. So it was sobering in the report to read that only 33% of family violence is reported to the police, but family violence actually continues to be one of the main call-outs that police are dealing with in our communities. 
So what can you tell us um, about what the report found about family violence in our communities? Uh, yeah, that is, it is quite a, a sobering thought think, to think that um, 70, 77% of family violence isn't reported. Um, yeah, so in the past year, there was 168,436 family violence incidences that the police went out um, to investigate. Um, one every five minutes is the term that we usually coin to describe the extent of family violence in our country. But when we take the numbers from the previous years, um, it actually on average comes down to one every three minutes. And so the number of family harm investigations that police are attending has actually increased. Um, and so that, that's quite concerning. At the same time, what we've noticed in the State of the Nation report um, is that there is a trend that the police are reporting that more family harm investigations um, actually result in um, police deeming it an offence or as a crime. Mm -hmm. um, when, when police are called out to family harm investigations, they usually um, will investigate to see, um, you know, is this an offence or is this um, an issue? Is this, uh, family harm incident that we can address outside of the justice system by providing that support and wraparound for the family. Mm. Um, and so it's quite concerning that more family harm investigations are being deemed um, as a crime or an offence. Uh, yeah, so so there's been some movement or traction in this area, um, given the Family Violence Act came in in 2018. Um, the joint venture also came in in 2018. So that's a, a collaborative partnership between different ministries to try and work together to address family violence. At the end of last year, we saw um, the Te Aurere strategy come into play, um, and that's trying to eliminate and um, prevent uh, family violence and um, sexual violence um, in our country. Um, and so there's, a, there's a, uh, some ventures of the government to try and, um, you try and address uh, the growing levels of family harm um, in our community or family violence in our community, um, but at the same time, um, yeah, there is still a lot of work to be done in that space. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we mentioned in the introduction of, of this podcast that the report is, is in its 15th year now. So that's 15 years of, of measuring all of these different kind of key areas. And something that we've seen over the last 15 years is that victimization levels are increasing. Uh, people might not actually know what victimization is. So could you just explain what that is and why it's important that we... Uh, measure, measure it and keep track of it? Uh, yeah, so uh, victimisation um, refers to um, times that a victim has experienced crime mm -hmm. um, and they've reported it to the police and so that's classified as victimisation. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so victimisations can often include uh, crimes that they experienced in the past um, or crimes that they experienced uh, now. So those numbers tend to fluctuate because when, um, uh, when you're looking at victimization, um, sometimes um, the victim may not be able to identify an offender um, or, yeah, and if, they, if they're reporting on um, past times that they've experienced, um, that they've experienced a crime. Um, and so uh, the police have to track back um, to try and resolve that victimization um, that happened in the past. Um, so in the past 15 years, we have continued to track um, victimization levels. I mean, the reason why we find victimization levels really important um, is because in the report, we talk about only 25% of crime is reported to the police. Mm. Um, and 
yeah, a significant part of that crime um, uh, uh, is not proceeded against. Um, and so we can't just look at the number of offenders and the number of proceedings. We also need to look at what crime is experienced in the community and we can track that um, by looking at the levels of victimization. And oftentimes um, one offender could create victimizations for many people, for many victims. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, yeah, so looking at um, the, the, the times and frequency um, that people have been victimized can give us a picture of the crime that's experienced by the community um, by tracking these numbers. Right. Yep, that makes sense. So um, the key findings from the third cycle of the New Zealand Crime and Victims Survey showed that younger people and people living in more deprived areas and communities tend to be at a higher risk of victimization. Uh, can you explain some factors that may contribute to that? Uh, yeah, so um, the um, NZCVS, which is the New Zealand Crime Victim Survey, is probably one of the most um, thorough uh, data collections of looking at the um, crime that New Zealanders experience. Um, and so one of the findings, um, as you said, Julia, was that younger people and people living in more deprived areas are, vic uh, have, are more victimised than um, mm -hmm. any other group. I think if we look at the context of these neighbourhoods, you're looking at um, these neighbourhoods also have high levels of bottle stores. These levels also have high levels of um, poking machines, um, they have uh, lower incomes, um, and so um, so those all play a factor um, in in those more deprived areas. Uh, there's a correlation between crime and all those other factors as well. Um, and so um, if you, we also look in these communities, um, more deprived areas have high high Pacifica and high Maori communities um, and we know that there's a huge disparity with Māori and with Pacifica when it comes to experiencing the justice system mm. um, and also with those um, those groups um, they tend to have a higher um, a higher population of younger people yes. um, the, I think the, um, the median age for Māori and Pacifica is like 23 24 and those in you know those mid twenty ages, and so that shows that they tend to have a younger population um, that live in these more deprived areas, um, and just the the context that surrounds some of these communities um, make them more predisposed to experience crime, mm. as opposed to those who live in more affluent affluent um, neighbourhoods um, that don't have um, all these other risk factors around them, like bottle shops and poking machines and um, you know, and other factors like that. Absolutely. And that just makes it so much harder for people to try and get back on the right track once they've experienced crime or have been, you know, part of that life, I guess. And there continues to be a significant disparity between non-Maori and Maori recidivism rates, um, particularly in relation to the 24-month follow-up. Um, can you talk a little bit about recidivism and, and that disparity? Uh, yeah, so... Uh... Uh, recidivism, for those out there who don't know um, what, 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 what it is, it's, it's the measurement that corrections use um, to look at how um, the, the probability that someone that leaves prison will offend again and come back uh, either to prison or to be reconvicted again. Um, and so, so that's, that, the, that measurement is called recidivism um, rate. Um, and when we're looking at and corrections measures 
um, recidivism rates at 12 months, and then they also measure recidivism rates at 24 months. So 12 months after someone's come out of uh, of prison, or 24 months out of after someone's come out of prison. Mm-hmm. Um, and a consistent trend that we have identified whilst measuring recidivism rates is that Māori continue to have higher recidivism rates, which means they're more likely to return and um, to be re-imprisoned or be reconvicted than non-Māori. Um, and what's actually quite welcoming is that even though these numbers remain stubbornly high, at, at the 12-month follow-up, um, the disparity between Māori and non-Māori is declining, which means um, Māori are doing a lot better at the 12-month follow-up um, together with non-Māori. Um, but at the 24-month follow-up, uh, that disparity is growing. Um, and so whilst non-Māori um, recidivism rates are getting relatively better, um, for Māori, when they are followed up at 24-month, um, yeah, the, those numbers aren't looking good and their recidivism rates are, are still stubbornly high. Um, and so as a Salvation Army, um, we, we're in that process of um, reintegration and rehabilitation. And so um, we've highlighted that even though Corrections um, continues to allocate more funding towards towards rehabilitation and reintegration to, as an attempt to try and bring these recidivism rates down, um, we still think there's more effort that needs to be done um, and more support required to help um, you know past offenders get back on their feet because what what we're seeing with this 24-month follow-up is that um, for uh, offenders at 24 months, they might not have been able to find their feet or they might ha- not have been able to reintegrate back into the community. And so being able to support them and surround them um, and their families with the support that they need to be able to get back on their feet, be able to reintegrate back into society, um, that's really important. And that's, um, you know, that's an area that um, the Salvation Army is in. Absolutely. And I'm not sure um, when this episode is going to be released, but we've interviewed also for the podcast, it may already be be out. Um, Glenn, he's the head of prison reintegration services. I think I actually got his job title wrong then, but we, we interviewed him about the Salvation Army's work with with people reintegrating back into society. So that'll be a, an interesting episode to listen to um, if it's available. So it is, it is really sad that there's little to no alternative for people to get a fresh start once they've been released from prison and there definitely needs to be, be some more work happening in the area. So um, the Salvation Army's reintegration services and um, rehabilitation services are super important, as you've, as you've said. Absolutely. So if you want to learn more about... Um, the crime and punishment section of the report, you can go to www.salvationarmy.org.nz and look under our research and policy section and the report will be there. And it's broken down into nice little sections. So you can just go straight to the crime and punishment section, which was authored by Anna. Um, And I'll also have the report linked in the show notes. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on, Anna, before we finish up this episode? Uh, Yes, I just wanted to um, highlight that even though uh, yeah, even though um, there are some really uh, concerning trends that we've identified in this crime and punishment chapter, um, just wanted to highlight that there are attempts, um, you know, attempts from the government and from local communities to try and address the level of offending um, and the levels of victimisations in our communities. Um, like I, like I said, with um, uh, the Salvation Army's reintegration services um, and rehabilitation services, with Glenn and his team, they do a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. Um, for 
for the for our communities. Um, yeah, there is there is work being done in this space to try and address um, the concerning trends that we've identified. Um, and also just as a Salvation Army, um, we are a church organisation and so ensuring that we remain hopeful and amongst these dark and dire numbers is really important as well. Um, yeah, so yeah, so there's definitely um, space, there's definitely movement in this space um, to try and make our communities a safer place to live. That's right. Really amazing people out there rolling up their sleeves and, and getting in there and doing doing the hard work to try and make make changes where they can, which is amazing to see. So yeah, thank you so much for your time, Anna. Really appreciate it. Um, I know that you're a, a busy woman, so <laughs> thanks again for, for taking the time to chat to us. And I really hope that our listeners um, enjoy the episode. Cool. Thanks, Julia.